All right, everyone. Hello and welcome to UAP Experiencers. I am very excited to have our guest on today. And we actually did just see each other at the UFO Disclosure Symposium in Vernal, Utah earlier this year. Um, I thoroughly enjoyed Michael's discussion and I just am so truly and sincerely honored to have him on our show to discuss his adventures in archaeology. And I just want to go ahead and introduce Michael. If you do not know him, let's learn a little bit more about Michael. Michael is a physicist, an engineer, and archaeologist. In 1985, Mr. Boyd received his Bachelor of Science degree in physics at UCSB. Mr. Boyd began his career as a engineer and scientist starting in 1982 at Hughes Aircraft Company Santa Barbara Research Center. His career has spanned component manufacturing development engineering in the medical device, microelectronics, telecommunication, semiconductor, and hard drive industry. Michael has published his research in technical publications, including the International Society for Optical Engineering, the National Institute of Standards and Technology, the Journal of Vacuum Science Technology, and the Society for California Archaeology. Mr. Boyd received an AA in Anthropology in 2019 and AS in Construction Management in 2021 from Cabrillo College in Aptos, California. He began working as an archaeologist in 2017. Mr. Boyd has three United States patents on the world's first space-time metrics engineering device called the mass spin valve or gravitational rectifier. It is a type of gravitational diode. Mr. Boyd is a member of the International Society for Optics and Photonics, the Society for California Archaeology, and the Santa Cruz Archaeology Society. Wow. That <laughs> is an incredible amount of work that you've accomplished throughout your career. And again, very glad to have you on, Michael. Thank so, you. yes, absolutely. And it was. So I, like it was to, I like to learn. That's why <laughs> yes. I don't do it. I do it for fun. It's very enjoyable learning new stuff every day. And it's fun going back to school because uh, when I want go back to school, I would like sign up for five classes and then drop all but one or two <laughs> and if i didn't like the teacher i just drop it you know right if, if anything came up any drama just drop the class <laughs> that's what we do in the uap world too and you, you really truly do learn what your threshold is and you know what you're willing to want you know to expand on so awesome for you great advice to students yeah, take just, take yeah. what you can what you want to learn and if you don't like the teacher you can go to a different one or wait till <laughs> next semester perfect perfect time to, to speak on that too very cool very cool well uh well i guess we can go ahead and begin with a few guest questions that have been brought to my attention behind the scenes and uh we can kind of go from there so let's go ahead and and get started um, I actually have one from Kevin from Calling All Beings, and he wanted to know what your beliefs are on if space is expanding faster than the laws of physics can accommodate and what this may entail for New Newtonian physics. Well, space is expanding 
but the stuff in it is not. And so, and that's uh, one of the, if, if uh, viewers and listeners would find the recent uh, uh, James Webb telescope video from NASA, that what they found was that when they looked at star uh, galaxies back within a hundred million years of the Big Bang, so-called Big Bang, they could see galaxies and they looked just like normal galaxies, like spiral galaxies like ours. And they were the same size. They, had, they, they weren't smaller. So that suggests there's no Big Bang. Mm -hmm. The universe just exists and is mm -hmm. forever. So there's going to be a huge paradigm shift because of this discovery. Because we've relied on this theory that you can get something from nothing, a whole universe in this case. <laughs> sure. Well, and if matter isn't showing that it's evolving, such as expanding or changing, it's, exactly. then that does suggest so. So that's so truly the way the way I you describe it is there's a manifold of events in space time that's independent from the matter within it. So space time is expanding, but the matter isn't. That's a profound thing. Ex extremely profound and concerning, you know. So that that. But that's a good thing. That means life is natural and it's everywhere. <laughs> this is true. This is this is a true statement. I do agree with that. Yeah. Okay. Well, I like your I like your uh, so did I answer the question to go back to the Yes, you did. Yes, you did. So let's see what would go good to piggyback that well actually let's let's move to uh, artifacts i think that that would be something that would be interesting for the audience to listen on so from deb from deb's data jojo she she had a question about artifacts and she wanted to know what the earliest known human artifact was and you know the range the date range of where you believe it to be um, what years you believe it to be originated from? So the earliest artifacts that I'm aware of are from Africa the, in the Aldabyde Gorge. There were stone tools of Australopithecus africanus. Um, there's a book called Lucy about that. And it's the, uh, the, the leakies were the, the ones who uh, discovered th this hominid. And one, one, besides the, the, the cranium, they found a, they found a, a sto stone tools there. Mm -hmm. So, and stone tools are our type of artifact. So, and connecting those two with the beginning of life here, and if it will go on, it, it does intertwine with that theory of 
you know, us, we're evolving as a species, but outside of us, you know, there seems to be some standstill as you somewhat described. Um, interesting. Okay. Well, there is, there <laughs> is a, like, um, so most people think evolution is a slow methodical thing, but it's mm -hmm. actually what's called punctuated equilibrium. So for example, an example of this is there's the, I think it's called the Tungosa crater off a of Yucatan Peninsula where a okay. huge meteorite hit uh, mm -hmm. and, and supposedly wiped out most of the dinosaurs. Mm -hmm. And you can't, and then the age of the mammals came after that. Mm -hmm. So that's an example of punctuated equilibrium where right. and what 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 uh to be uh to survive uh, a species has to find what's called a niche and niche is means it's it's it, it's a healthy enough environment that it can re reproduce mm -hmm. and survive you know for generations okay um all all life including humans are are here because we found a niche what makes us special is what's called human plasticity like the word plastic plasticity is it means we can uh, adapt and find our niche in multiple environments and there's other uh, other um, primates like the gorilla, like the chimpanzee, for example, or the bonobo is another uh, primate, and they're all located in one region in the Congo. And for example, the chimps and the and the bonobos live on opposite sides of the Congo River. <laughs> so, but they're all stuck there. Basically, they didn't travel all over the world like humans. So that's what makes humans that and our ability to create tools. But that's all natural. We naturally ad adapted. This was like a million years ago. We were, human beings were here. Mm -hmm. And I, I, I feel that I feel in my heart that it's natural. It's not artificial. Sure. So now sure. when we're talking about UAPs, for example, mm -hmm. for example, the Tic Tac, it's yes. obvious that's artificial. It's not natural. So that that that's distinct. So what I'm what what I'm saying is that human Humans have been around for a million years, mm -hmm. but in that million years, a lot has happened on Earth to change it. And so there's probably other civilizations before the biblical history, for example. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. You know, <laughs> so I, I have I, I have no doubt that the there's civilizations have come and fallen thousands of times in the earth in in uh, the history of humanity, pre pre history as it's called. 
there there may there may have been you know others outside of what is still visiting our airspace because i mean and i don't want to say visiting but sharing our airspace because we can't claim that it's ours right if they were potentially here before us or came at the same time so uh very interesting take on that there michael uh let me well, say there's yes. other uh, there's other uh, species that are yes. as intelligent as us, so-called intelligence. Intelligence is a social construct, like race. It's something we make up to classify right. stuff. It's not real. <laughs> that it's, is a great, great point. It's just a categorization of how we categorize stuff because human right. beings like to categorize stuff. Right. This is true. This is true. Well, I off I often wonder if there the beings do have emotional intelligence and what whatever way we'd want to scale that, but I do often wonder wonder that if they do share that with humans. So well, I, I think if there's other entities, intelligent uh, so-called intelligent entities, uh that they're earthlings for one because we've seen them here <laughs> uh -huh, yes. and, and and that um the reason that they're not contacting us is because they're afraid of us because we kill our own kind because we're a very violent culture mm -hmm. we learn from being a small child how to enjoy violence and it's you know it's our way each of us have the same basic needs and we all have the same feelings we're all the same essentially and my hypothesis is that because of the agricultural revolution we created a stratification of society where we had people that had stuff and people that didn't and and we socialize cultural violence by stigmatizing those who didn't and that's that social uh construct has permeated our whole culture and that's what's holding us back is our violent our uh violence and our inability to deal with the trauma that it causes. We're all carrying around all this trauma and we're not dealing with it. And one of the things we learned about in genetics is, is what's called epigenetics. And that is basically if, if you don't deal with the trauma, you pass it on to your children in their genes and how they're expressed. So, I mean, our genotype, as we talk about it, human beings, there's no, there's no um, other race besides human race, okay? It's a, it's a construct. But the genotype of the human being, of, of uh, Homo erectus, is essentially um, the same. Everybody has the same recipe. A, geno, a genotype is... The recipe, the formula, that's what it is. How you put the stuff together 
is how you express it, right? It's like you get all these the, these materials and you can make a cookie or you can make a cake, right? <laughs> right. right. And, but that's, that's what uh, the, the, that's called phenotype, how mm -hmm. the, the shape of a thing. So that means that you and me and your cat and, and, any other animal, we all have the same genotype. It's how they're expressed is different. Okay. But then okay. when you have this trauma that you deal with, where your your parents like uh, starved for a certain time, for example, and then, or when you were in the womb, your mom, something happened to her that that affected you and stunted your growth all this this is an example of what i'm talking about it passes on well the emotional stuff passes on too it turns out people um for example uh the i when i'm doing my archaeology work i i work with native monitors people from the local tribes come and watch them dig along with me when i'm watching them build something where there's a possibility that there's a burial or some archaeology site there they have the native monitor so what i did is i did this survey where i asked all the the nine native monitors uh the, this one question of has anyone ever called you a mexican and and they all but one said yes and then i asked him how that made him feel and they all said Oh, it was totally fine. And I, I, I said, I felt confused because you're native, aren't you? Uh, why didn't you want to tell them you were native? And they all said that some member of their family, when they were a little kid, had been put in the boarding school where basically they would be punished if they spoke their language. And they actually had this policy of, of, of going and kidnapping the native children and forcing them into these religious schools where they would erase their culture and they would put like different tribes together. And if they did anything from their culture, they would be punished. And a lot of, there was a lot of abuse and this is in Canada too. They, they had this in Canada and the United States. And basically, they wanted to. Uh, the, the saying was, "They need to kill the Indian to save the man." And if that's and not so, a, an exponential amount of trauma, then so, you know, so then, I, I, wow. So then, this this relative of theirs would go back to the tribe, go back to the village or the the reservation, and this that it was like basically they taught their children not to let anyone know they were native mm. because of stigma mm -hmm. okay and then mm -hmm. that they found they found in studies that there's a, a higher uh propensity for alcoholism and drug abuse and suicide and and violence in these communities because of their failure to deal with this intergenerational trauma that they're passing on and so and, that would be through the genome type 
that Your literally epigenetics. physically we call it epigenetics. Epigenetics get epigenetics. So it basically through. affects how the so like I was saying how the phenotype affects the the shape of it, the of the organism. Yes. Epigenetics is basically how those genes are expressed, okay, in the individual. And so basically the higher the propensity for that all this these problems is due to the fact that the 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 relative is passing this trauma on to the whole family. Okay. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And this isn't just the natives, it's like People, a lot of uh, so-called white people I know, they're military families, and and they're it's again this system of cultural violence, and how we normalize violence. We we actually, when we're little kids, where we watch these cartoons where people are hitting each other, and and then when you're watching the TV show, they'll they'll get to the violent part. And right before the violin happens, they'll cut to a commercial, <laughs> right? And it's so they're like right. teaching you from a, a young right. age to enjoy violence. But if you well, like take yes. little kids and you put them together, like take to infants and put them in the, or toddlers and you just like walk off and one toddler is not used to being alone. The, the the one toddler will start crying and for their mom and then the other toddlers will will put their arms around them and, and comfort them because it's right. natural when humans are naturally giving it's not just a human trait it's a natural trait if if, uh, uh, if you got a family of kittens and the mom walks away the kittens take care of each other well let it's me pose natural. the Right. Compassion is a natural is what we naturally do. That's what creates healthy well-being. It's about everybody's well-being, right? L so that's and what nonviolence is about. Right. That's what nonviolent communication is about. Right. Oh, you muted out for a sec. No, he's, I'm here. He's still there. Okay. So <laughs> What's a pregnant part? For instance, if there is this generational trauma that's been passed down to a child and say, for instance, you know, that they do experience, you know, anger and violence, which I do believe is a learned behavior also, you know, if, if you're under an angry Learn household, and it, it is a learned behavior. Yeah. So say, for instance, if the parents were not that way. They were the opposite, kind, giving, compassionate, empathetic, and all of that. But they came from this traumatic, you know, lineage. What would the case be for that child? Would they inevitably, you know, show some of these types of, you know, no, it's action? not. It's I see. Nature versus nurture. Okay, mm -hmm. I would yes. argue that it's nurture would win out over this so-called nature it's not a genetic thing it's a, it's an expression of the gene and if okay. you learn in a loving compassionate environment where where everybody's giving you don't see that you don't see that it's and, and it's the same it's the same in uh primate culture 
There's mm -hmm. actually, like I said, there were th three. There's the the gorilla, the chimpanzee, and the bonobo. Now, have you ever heard of the term sexual dimorphism? Expound on that. I'm sure I've heard it a long way. I've heard of many <laughs> different like terms. A, it sounds this, like a disease. Dimorphism. You got no. sexual dimorphism. Totally intrigued. <laughs> totally intrigued. <laughs> so what it is, is, okay, the gorilla hat is an example of sexual dimorphism. Okay. The, the huge male gorilla is called an alpha male. Okay. Mm -hmm. And he, he basically uses violence to assert dominance. Okay. Over the other gorillas. Right. The female gorilla is about the same size as a chimpanzee gorilla. It's it's smaller, it's petite, okay, and that's what sexual dimorphism is. It's like the huge size versus versus. Now, in the in the uh, the thing about the gorilla that's interesting though is the gorillas are vegetarian; they don't eat any meat. So that means that hugeness in the gorilla, it's basically to get laid. <laughs> <laughs> We've got a lesson for all. To do, it has nothing to do with survival, okay? <laughs> it has nothing to do with it. Now, and that's natural. Then that's a natural, you know, thing. That yeah. yeah. Well, that's an example of sexual dimorphism. Now, okay. let's talk about the chimpanzee. Now, the chimpanzee has sexual dimorphism. The male chimpanzee is a little, much larger. Uh, I'd say it's about a third larger than the female mm -hmm. chimpanzee. Mm -hmm. Now, the gorilla, the, the chimpanzee, though, eats meat. It's uh, omnivorous, okay? And, and they actually hunt in packs and they have territory, okay? And, they, and if, a, if another gorilla from a, another chimpanzee from an outside the territory encroaches on them, they'll kill the, they'll actually attack. And so they use violence and they also have alpha males like the gorillas. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that means they have a harem. And basically if you watch their breeding, it, it kind of looks like rape is the best mm -hmm. way to describe it mm -hmm. for both the gorilla and the chimpanzee. Mm -hmm. Which is now the third one is the bonobo, mm -hmm. and the bonobo lives on the southern part of the Congo River. The male and the female are the same size, mm -hmm. and they don't use they don't use uh, violence. And when they're they use sex, is how they. Uh, create social cohesion and they actually have alpha females mm -hmm. so basically what i'm suggesting is that we got a sexual dimorphism problem <laughs> it's fair the enough male, the male is that's why the male human is larger than the female human okay mm -hmm. it's because we got the we got this sexual dimorphism and that makes us, and that's why the patriarchy is harmful to humanity's well-being is the best way to put it. Okay. I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to, 
Okay, go on. Sorry. So, so, but basically, what I'm su suggesting is this violence, this intergenerational trauma, and all this. It may be something that we've been carrying around for millions of years. I don't know, but I, I, I hope I, I'm hopeful that we can go to nonviolence to reverse that behavior to reverse that behavior and just acknowledge it it's like how do you acknowledge the, the, how do you deal with trauma the first thing you have to do is acknowledge it you got to acknowledge it you can't hide it you got to talk about it okay i agree and so that's basically what i feel is is missing in this whole U uap discussion okay and yes. and i see it like uh it, you know, it's like it's a big secret and it's now they're talking it's a national security thing. Sure. And, you know, it is, but it's absolutely it, it's a national security for the opposite reason of what they're saying. It's it's they're trying to normalize our cultural violence to this thing with the UAPs. And I think that's the barrier to contact is what I'm suggesting. The barrier mm -hmm. to us communicating with these other entities is violence and our cultural violence is make it so they're afraid of us essentially because we kill each other they're they know that we won't have any problem killing them okay mm -hmm. it's they're looking out for their well-being mm-hmm you know, and that's what I, my my uh, hypothesis is, is it's not we won't have an awakening until we deal with our trauma. Mm -hmm. And we're right in the middle of a big trauma right now mm -hmm. in Ukraine. Oh, you know, yeah, that it, where the whole world is suffering trauma and okay. it's intergenerational. It, it's Yes. Intergenerational trauma that's, we're just not dealing with it in a healthy way. And until we find a nonviolent, healthy way to deal with it, it uh, I, I feel sad and afraid. It's sure. the best I could say. Agreed. It, well, if, if your hypothesis is true that the beings are displaying this fearful type scenario against communication with us, then that would, to me, equate emotional intelligence of some kind, because, you know, fear is a form of an emotion. So uh, that's very, very interesting. Uh, I I do know. So fear, fear, let's talk yes. about uh, uh, feelings, okay? Yes. Fear is uh, what I call emotion in your head. Yes. You think about something and it makes you afraid. Okay. It evokes this feeling. Yes. I, yes. Love is a feeling that you feel in your heart. It's a heart feeling. And that's what nonviolent communication comes from. From your heart. It comes, mm -hmm. it's comes from compassion. If you love someone, it's it's not hard to communicate nonviolently. Right. Right. I, I'm with you, Michael. I uh, I 
try to display kindness as much as possible. I've been told I'm nice to a fault. You know, I'll stand up for myself if I have to, but I'd much rather live my life that way other than, you know, angry at the world or, you know, living in violence or fear or anything such as that. So how do we get more people on board with that way of thinking is the question. How do we change the thinking and the trauma? And, you know, my suggestion is that we reach out and engage with them nonviolently in a dialogue. We go to, it's kind of like, you know, people talk when I I was brought up a Christian, you know, a a Catholic and, Mm -hmm. There's all these, and there's a lot of guilt <laughs> comes uh-huh. with being Catholic. And so, uh, <laughs> and you know, this reward and punishment stuff, which I don't really believe that's part of this cultural violence is, you know, mm-hmm. of the, there's a good and bad, right? Mm-hmm. It's not, we're all the same. We're all, I basically feel that everybody is the same. We have the same feelings and needs. Mm-hmm. And if we can be compassionate, we can take care of all those needs okay yeah and everybody can have fun right i like (laughs) it i'm on board michael for president that's it i mean i don't want to have a war i want to have a party no all right i'll bring i'll bring a yeah i don't know i'll bring some music yeah exactly Yeah, I I agree. It's unfortunate that, you know, our world is going through this this turmoil and it doesn't seem that there's going to be any near end of this behavior. You know, it seems maybe there will be some time in between, there will be a lull and then things will go back to something, you know, awful again, which, you know, it's 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 just really unfortunate it's really sad that, well, that this is what, what would be cool is if we could like reach out to like people like lou elizondo or uh, or um chris mellon people yes. like that that you know half of the people think they're like deep state spies or and the other half I'm think scared. that they're like whistleblowers mm-hmm. i don't really care i just would like to talk yeah, to them Nonviolently, and because I I feel a lot of reason that they're so hesitant and sensitive is because they're carrying around this cultural violence too, and they have. Sure. I mean, knowing their jobs, they must have a lot of trauma that they're carrying. That. So instead of talking to them about their secrets, let's talk to them about their experiences and what or f- f- what, you know, what's what's making them afraid. You know, if find just, out they get to the root cause of the trauma and deal with it openly in a, a nonviolent way and then th- that is what basically do more to bring it out of the closet than anything else that we could do is we don't have to focus on the details. We have to focus on the feelings and the needs because mm-hmm. we now, all have feelings and needs. Yes, I agree. And they must as well. And now say if you were given that opportunity, would you be willing to be that person to communicate? I mean, whether it be through, 
binary code, sounds, uh, tele te telepathy. Uh, oh, there's a scientist I, I working on. To, I'd love to interview him. <laughs> I would love to. Too. Like, let's just stare at each other and see what we think. Let's just do it. Let's just try. But, you know, you, it would need to be in a some, somewhat of a safe environment. You know, I mean, I do yeah. believe that there are risks involved. There there have been, if they are true, proven adverse effects and reactions from being near UAP. So there there are risks right. involved. That's due to the physics of the device, though. It has to do with the fact that when you go really fast, it creates x-rays that can expose you to radiation poisoning. Okay, and it depends on which way you're going. If you're going into the future, then you get blue shift. If you go into the past, you get red shift. So it's basically red shift isn't going to harm you because it's cooling it down, essentially. But or it's less hot. <laughs> mm -hmm. Then if you go blue shift, that's when you start getting uh, light to shift to uh, x-rays and ultraviolet and, you, you know, basically where you can actually get physical harm from it. And that's right. why you'll hear people sitting next to UAPs getting radiation poisoning and stuff like that. Right. It's not a good place to be. Right. But, but that's natural again. <laughs> that, that's natural on their side, but, you know, to an elevated level, which is, scary. So, uh, you know, have you heard about the scientist? His name is David Mason. He's been working on a study to communicate via uh, sounds from sea creatures under this, you know, the whale sounds, uh -huh. natural sounds. So, and if transmedium craft are true and real, which I tend to lean on the fact that they are real, then that would be incredibly interesting to see if that form of communication is effective now well, no, how it, do we there's no reason that? it wouldn't be effective because uh essentially sound is what gravity uses it's called a, so with a light you have what's called a photon yes photon of light it's a quasi particle now it's a particle hmm. wave okay but it has no mass okay but what happens with sound when you when you move gravity it's called a phonon not a photon a phonon and it's sound and it moves at the speed of hypersound which is like real it's really fast it's and uh and so and this is, a, again, this is a natural thing of, of um, now the sun has this thing. When the sun has a solar flare, it takes seven minutes for the solar flare, the X-ray or the, the the light to hit the earth. Mm -hmm. But it also has a thing called a coronal mass ejection where it throws part of the corona of the sun off into space, it makes a million mile wide gravity wave like like an ocean wave and it come and it takes three days because it's traveling it's because the gravity wave is traveling at hypersound it's a corona mass oh. ejection everybody wow. <laughs> yeah <laughs> so, me. we've been getting hit by them recently just the last I, few days the they solar space flares are real 
and it causes it, it causes uh, um, aurora, the aurora borealis, which is you know there's uh, like up in the Arctic it looks like um, curtains of light. It sounds like a beautiful term, but it probably is not good. Now, no, it's, it's cool. It looks cool. It's just it's just charged particles coming from the sun as they go cool. into the up in the make a big circle. What do you? Light. It sounds, and I would love to see that in person as long as it's safe. What are your beliefs on communicating via, through light? Do you think that that could potentially be something? Even uh, produce light underground where they believe that UAP may be entering or even up into the sky, which would make sense light, also to most people, but there should be does, doesn't go as fast as gravity. Gravity can go faster than light because see gravity uses quantum entanglement. And so basically what that means is if I wiggle something over here that was in contact with this stuff over here, and it's, uh, say, uh, 20 million light years away. Right. Okay. If I <laughs> right. wiggle this guy, the guy 20 million light years away wiggles too. Just the yes. opposite. And yes. that's what quantum entanglement is. Okay. And that's what gravity does. So hmm. a gravity wave is felt all throughout the universe. Mm -hmm. it's, it's like a ripple. You know, mm -hmm. like in a in a pond, and but it's like all all the all the ripples are showing all over the all, all over. It's and that's what makes us, you and me, interconnected. We're all interconnected at the nuclear level because protons make gravity. Okay, because mm -hmm. that's where the mass comes from is the proton. And and when you have a moving proton, what do you call it? You call it a phonon. So protons can be mobile, but they move slower because mm -hmm. they have more mass. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so like when they accelerate uh, an electron, they have this thing called a linear accelerator. So it goes in a straight line. Electrons go in a straight line like light. But when they accelerate a proton, they use a thing called a cyclotron. It spins it in a spiral like that. So it's, huh. and, and that's because they got to get it going really fast in the spiral to get it up to speed, to the, the speed, because it has so much mass. So cyclotron. Now, is that faster moving light than the others? Or what would you be able well, to project no, that further? An electron has a mass. But it's only 1,640 times. You need 1,640 electrons to equal one proton's mass. Okay. So, but, and, and electrons produce photons, light. And the way that a photon is produced is you have the electrons have energy levels. So there's like a, a base level or what they call a valence electron which is like close to the nucleus. And then there's a, a, a what's called a conducting electron, which goes up to an accelerator to a higher energy level. And that, that's what, uh, 
it's called conducting because that's the one that produces a photon. If it falls back down to the valence man, it'll send off a, a, a photon of light of a characteristic wavelength. Okay. Right. Or if a light comes in and hits it, and it, it can let it can actually do have the opposite effect and raise up the from the valence electron to the to conduction electron and send some electricity into the circuit. Okay, and that's what a detector does. And your hmm. cell phone when you that that's but that's using electrons. Okay, but protons is that's where the gravity comes from. It's protons. All right. So, so could be another form of communication. I'm not no, sure. That's what I'm saying is you well, it, it's yeah. already working inside you. Right. It's in your brain, it's in your body, it's in your cells. All those cells are talking to each other using protons that electricity is flowing <laughs> so in, in 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 your cells there's this this um protein it's called atp synthase it's a molecular motor it takes right. protons and spins them around okay to produce power on the two sides of the membrane and it's in animals vegetables and even fungi <laughs> So that's what powers all, all life on, on Earth is this proton spinning around, essentially. <laughs> Interesting. So with and with the fungi, I don't know if this is a silly question or not, but I do know we'll say nitrogen would produce some accelerated effect, uh, effect to, say, growing vegetables or something. Oh, so yeah. with the mushrooms, that's kind of an interesting correlation there if... Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Nitrogen's plugged into them. They're going to grow a lot faster. Well, I think there's, I, you have to go look at the chemical formula for it, what's called ATP synthase. I, I wrote, I'm a jotting these notes down. It's ATP. No, uh, I'm a learning something. And then I'll just check it out sometime and you'll see. And I, I'm pretty sure they got nitrogen in there. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So, Very so, cool. I, so I say. I say you join the the new Pentagon's task force, Michael, and uh, <laughs> you have too many great ideas. That's well, that's the I thing. Well, I don't know if they really want me because you know my <laughs> hobby. I have a you know I have this hobby, which is uh, I have this nonprofit called Californians for Renewable Energy, and the purpose okay. of it is to sue the government over energy projects. Uh -huh. And so I've sued All the right. government a bunch of times and won. So they don't like me. <laughs> At least I think. Well, they don't want so. someone to work with them that they're worried might sue them, is what I'm saying. Oh, you're trying to help the environment. I see, Michael. Yeah, well, How that's why you? I sued them because I just wanted them to do their job, basically. But <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, good for you. Good for you. But we I would like to, to just. I would really enjoy like someone like you or anyone just doing inter interviewing some of these uh, some of these uh, people that uh, you know work for the government and are are basically advocating for more uh, openness and transparency. I, I I like to encourage them to do that in a healthy way, where they they feel that their well-being is being protected and mm -hmm. you know i want them to feel comfortable to talk about it 
-hmm. not because they're afraid or because they're for any negative or violent reason. I want them to do it because it makes them feel good. That's what, what I want to create that kind of environment because that's what I feel is really missing is, is, you know, it's like name calling and stuff. It's, Mm-hmm. Like criticism is a tragic expression of a unmet need. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. If you think about it, it's not. <laughs> it's it's tragic because it has the opposite effect of the need that they're trying to meet. Right. Well, people who have, whom have seen things are being suppressed, so their feelings are being held back. And you know, it does take a certain level of vulnerability to come forward and share something that sounds so extreme and wild and weird, especially if you come from a military background, you know, your your job is on the line. If you're just a regular civilian, you know, like myself, I mean, my, my family and I witnessed a UAP and we actually did produce parts that were distributed to Hughes aircraft. So maybe that was part of the draw that I was so drawn to you, but we grew up in the aerospace industry. So this wasn't something that we spoke about because it could have potentially affected my mom's reputation. She was the vice president of the company. Is she going to go show up to McDonnell Douglas or contact Lockheed and say, Hey, look, this happened to us. My my dad worked at the skunk works. Yes. And Raytheon and yeah. My I worked at uh, like I said for Hughes for about ten years and uh, yeah. and my grandpa he was uh, he was in the, he was a uh, he was a, a a colonel in the Marines and a captain in the Navy at the same time and he went to the North Pole forty eight times and the South Pole three times with Admiral Byrd wow. so so it's and what he did is he was a machinist uh-huh yeah so like when you're down in antarctica and you need a part you can't go down to the hardware store you got to make it <laughs> oh yeah and there aren't too many people there to to provide those services either so <laughs> your dad had to literally create and you yeah, know it's my grandpa but he was your, your grandfather but, you know, all that that's all great stuff but it created a whole bunch of intergenerational trauma in my family sure so sure. for example my grandpa abandoned my uh my grandma and mm-hmm. left her with two small children while he was off gallivanting in the in the arctic and antarctic with bird and my my grandma was left unable to take care of her kids so she my aunt and my uncle my aunt and my dad lived in an orphanage for eight years when they were little kids so it's and then that that's like intergenerational trauma and the thing is the trauma we're talking about is what is called abandonment mm-hmm. because my grandpa was an orphan too so it's an and and it's this is a common thing in military families is this this trauma is is a huge huge issue for Absolutely. all of us it's, it's you know and i don't know Absolutely. i don't want to be, kick a dead horse no well that's that's where we need resources and people to understand that 
I, you have actually experienced this scenario where you came out still as a, you know, a, a great human being. And, you know, we're, we've, we've all got our, you know, faults about us. Nobody's perfect, but at least we try to do better and try to serve and help people in a positive light by teaching them or, you know, just by being a nice person. Yeah, How about that? Giving, How about that? Yeah, right. just but compassionate. There's no reason not to be. Yeah. The <laughs> compassion culture that you mentioned at the symposium really grasped my attention also because I you are right. I mean, how do you get that message out to the masses? How do we, how do we get everybody to see, you know, you speak on this or just, just the sim simple mindset can change ma the masses. It, it's a, it's a tool in your mind that you can use. And it's, it's difficult to change if you came from an angry background. It's something that you need to work on. And it can be attained, though. I've seen it happen. I've now, had it. I've endured thing. difficulty. You know, and there's this other thing I learned. It's called um, not integration. Uh, internal family system. It's called uh -huh. IFS. And what it is mm -hmm. is when you're two and two and a half. You know, when you're just in your very formative years, you watch your parents, your brain is like a little sieve and it just like sucks up all this information. And when your parents fight or they, they have stress and they're dealing with something traumatic, you watch that and you learn from them how they cope with this mm -hmm. issue. And then when you're, uh, when you grow up, there might be something, the things that happened to you that were traumatic that you repress. And that comes out in these, uh, you know, like alcoholism and these other issues, this intergenerational symptoms I call of intergenerational trauma, they come out. And it, it turns out that what this uh, internal family system is, it's basically this that, you know, they always taught you that uh, if you have multiple personalities, you're crazy. <laughs> right. Well, it turns out we all have multiple personalities. <laughs> okay. And there's, so there's a basic the, what's called self. And that's like happy go lucky, fun wants to play, compassionate, loving, that's self, okay? And then we have these three other personalities. The first one I I would call your protector or your also your critic, okay? And this is, or, you know, your conscious is speaking, right? It's the, a part of you that, that basically... I say rationalizes everything. And then you have this other one. It's called your outcast, which is like, uh, it's called your outcast because it's like you lose your temperature. You're crying uncontrollably. It's like this part of your personality that you're always trying to repress. Mm -hmm. And then this third one is called your firefighter. 
And your firefighter is like, tends to be like addictive personality. Mm-hmm. Basically the part of your personality that's coping with this trauma that you're repressing, usually in your outcast. So I went through this, this uh, counseling where I was learning about this uh, internal family system. And basically the counselor got me to accept this as reality. And then she would talk to each of my personalities. She talked, first she talked to my protector and basically convinced my protector to go sit down and let her talk to my outcast. And and so what happened is she talked to my outcast and when she, she asked my outcast how old I was. And I said, oh, I'm four, four and a half. And and then she basically asked me what happened. And what happened is when I was four and a half, I got lost in the New York World's Fair. My mom was there and I had uh, three brothers and a sister. And I got lost for like two or three hours at the World's Fair. And I thought I was an orphan. And because I'd see, I'd learned about my grandpa being an orphan. I didn't know ever about my dad being an orphanage. But I was dealing with abandonment. Mm -hmm. And then when I got back to my mom, she wasn't there for me because my other brother was lost. Oh, my goodness. So she couldn't, she couldn't, she was dealing with her own trauma and she couldn't deal with my trauma. In a healthy way. Mm-hmm. And so basically I carried that around with me inside for like 60 years. And then, uh, and I spent time in a lot of relationships with people that were unhealthy because I was afraid of being alone. Couldn't be alone. And so then after she showed me that, I wasn't afraid anymore. I wasn't afraid of being alone. Actually, I enjoy being alone now. But in and what that's called is called unburdening. So yes. now it's like billions it's- of people in the world are carrying this burdens around. And this is part of the nonviolence communication and compassion culture. It's part of how we deal with our trauma Mm -hmm. is you know basically accepting that it's okay to have multiple personalities (laughs) because we all do (laughs) but we all have the same self which is you know like i said the the part of you that's happy and fun and you know loving that part that's we all have that we all share that because it's like feelings and needs we're all the same when it comes to that whatever kind of human being you are even non-humans have this <laughs> yeah well we're learning that right I mean, and i appreciate well, my, you sharing my cat, this information my cat has it. <laughs> <laughs> well i'm no, sure yeah, all animals of have feelings yeah i agree yeah i know <laughs> they all have feelings 
that's why that that's what uh compassion culture is about is you know loving all living things mm-hmm. it's because you know i think the whole universe is conscious that's why it's like i like i said it's uh expanding but the stuff in it is staying the same size mm-hmm. it's growing mm-hmm. it's like a living thing Oh, I hear the my cat. I got to go check my cat. You know, the guest appearance. <laughs> so cool. Oh. Hold on. Take your time. We're good. Rosie's not having it, guys. She said, I need attention. You're talking about me. I know it. <laughs> Michael's truly is such such a cool fellow. What what the um, what the uh, drama was is there's another cat outside the window. (laughs) (laughs) They they don't you know cats don't really meow to each other. They don't really talk. Like a cat will like talk to you, but they only do that for humans. It was the attention. She needed to draw you away so oh, yeah. she could protect well, the house. I basically closed the door so she couldn't see the other cat. Oh, <laughs> she sounds so she's cute. She's yelling. <laughs> well, she's. I feel like we have so many other topics to speak on. What do you think, Michael? Would you do? You want to take a couple more questions? Should we no, let's take a couple more questions? Okay. Um, okay. Let's let's not really focus on the paper. We could do that some other time. That's wonderful. I appreciate you trying to figure out the technical uh, challenges. To <laughs> we know we have it figured out now, so it, it does work and it's effective. So we're gonna handle that next time. Okay. Okay. okay cool. So let's so, see. I have. I do have a message from. Leone D'Antonio, he he actually is down in the LA area. He worked for K-Rock for decades, actually. And uh, he has his own podcast also. It's more uh, horror-related, which is super cool. But he and I, we chat because he's also an experiencer. So he wants cool. to know, yes, very, very cool, very cool dude. Um, he wants to know, there's been recent talk from former government insiders on uh, the UAP topic. And this is relating back to 100,000 years ago to something happening to humans, right? So that changed us to where we are today. Have you in your findings found any sort of evidence of DNA enhancement or engineering from some external source that perhaps gave us the abilities of intelligence that humans have today? Very interesting question. So my understanding is that for an example of enhancement, you might not, it depends on your, the context. Okay. So white people, so-called white people are Caucasians and Asian people. Turns out that we have up to 7% Neanderthal DNA. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Did you know mm-hmm. that? 
<laughs> I've heard I just I had some DNA testing done too recently. So I have some I, friends I think have nine percent. Oh, cool. <laughs> just by the way they look, they're female. <laughs> so, so much to know. So, you did not know that. <laughs> yeah. So now, but uh, uh, people from the, descending from Africa, they don't have that. Okay. And now another thing is uh, so-called white people. Um, um, we had what's called a genetic bottleneck. At some point in the past, we got down to 10 or 12 individuals. And so what that means is that, besides inbreeding, <laughs> is that you get more, there's more um, likelihood of disease. Because mm -hmm. there's less diversity in uh, in the in the 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 genetics, okay? Sure. Then, for example, again, out of Africa, it has the most diversity of genetics. Mm -hmm. uh, so, yeah, there's stuff that happened, but is it natural? I would uh, argue that it's probably some natural cause to that. Now, I, I think what the, the, the questioner is, is getting at, is there some kind of artificial mm -hmm. yes. mechanism involved in human uh, cognitive skills, let us say? And maybe the only way we would know it, it depends on the ge genetics so we would have to do some kind of study we'd have to first we'd have to identify what part of the genome affects intelligence or cognitive mm -hmm. skills right mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and then if once we knew that then we could look at we could then figure out when that happened within you know some error range but they do that they can tell through genetics modern genetics they can tell things that happened a long time ago thousands of years ago mm -hmm. for example like i said with the the so-called white people's having a genetic bottleneck mm -hmm. that so, kind of thing that so would be but you know it's it's possible but you would there would there should be a way that we could prove it scientifically sure if that's the case there should be some physical evidence for that in the How, in, in, mm -hmm. right so to go back that far to see a significant my, shift in our you know creation what i think probably had a bigger effect on our cognitive skills was uh, nutrition mm -hmm. uh, because oh, yeah. uh, uh, we have in the, I would say in the last 150 years come light years and as far as on our understanding of human nutrition mm -hmm. we didn't have that understanding before and we also had a lot more hunger more starvation Mm -hmm. which has an effect on the cognitive skills of the population. Mm -hmm. Again, the, the trauma. That <laughs> makes... always come back to the trauma factor. 
Sure, so I would sense. argue that trauma has a bigger effect on cognitive skills in any artificially induced genetic variation. If a person is malnourished, that is a traumatic experience. You are not as healthy as, say, a person who has all of the necessities that they need to be functioning well. So absolutely, I, I definitely can see that. Interesting. So, yeah, it's a possibility, but there would be sure. some marker. There would be some markers there in the, in the, the human genome that would show up, like, uh -huh. like the uh, Neanderthal DNA, for example. Uh -huh. Right. Exactly. Well, Something... We used to think everybody, no, the Neanderthals were extinct, you know, and there are all these theories about, well, we killed them off in a war or something like that. But, you know, obviously we didn't have a problem sleeping together. <laughs> and your friends have their DNA. We know. We've got proof. Okay. Some of them Very... got through. <laughs> Some of them did. I mean, I'm sure we've all got a little, right? Let's see. Yeah, well, uh, yeah, that's why people got a lot. Like yeah. Seven percent. <laughs> I mean, I, <laughs> let's see. Okay, let let's let's go into. Uh, let's see. Uh, well, being a physicist, we haven't really spoken enough on on that, and I do have one question for you regarding that. And I know you you know have your patents on a few items, so I want to know what your theory of anti-gravity and unidentified craft uh, being connected would would have together. I mean, what would your theory be on them hovering? Do you believe it's electromagnetic? How would craft hover? Because it's reported on numerous occasions, these craft are flying through the air, but they've got this anti-gravity type gravitation. So. Please so speak on that for us. What my patent is on is actually anti-gravity at the nanoscale. So okay. what I discovered is that there's two kinds of gravity. There's a pushy kind and there's mm -hmm. a pull kind. So mm -hmm. when you throw a ball up in the air, it goes in a parabola and it comes down. Mm -hmm. Okay. And that's because it follows a, a trajectory of distance squared over time squared. And distance squared over time squared is that's what they call acceleration. So that's why they call it acceleration of gravity. So it means that the thing is dropping at a constant rate, mm -hmm. constant acceleration as it falls towards Earth. Mm -hmm. Any gravity is different. It doesn't follow uh, a linear trajectory, it's called. It's actually a set of a parabola or a parabolic trajectory it's a hyperbolic hyperbola hyperbola is like a if you think of a, a, a you take your parabola and you turn it upside down right and mm -hmm. then you one one side goes up and then the other side goes down like this okay mm -hmm. that's a parabola a hyperbola goes like this okay and it's okay. distance cubed over time cubed so right. it's, uh, it's a pushing force, but it's balloon-like. It's like if you're pushing on a balloon, okay, it's only strong at the membrane of the balloon, but inside there's no force. So it's like an 
a constant uh, energy moving back and forth. It's, is only, what's it's creating only in its, a little. It's not only in a bubble. It's only has any oh. uh, any structure to it at the bubble membrane at the little plastic part that you push your finger in. You're right. I see. That's that's how anti gravity works, and okay. it's all around us. <clears throat> we just didn't know what it was. We call it something different. <clears throat> we call it centripetal force. Okay, now when you were a kid, did you go on the whirly go around thing in the park? You, oh. You'd get on the the you get on the the um, the railing and you'd get pushing real fast, and then it go spinning around, and then if you gob it off, you'd be like all oh, dizzy. Yeah. No, is that you know? You remember this? Okay. Oh yeah. So now there's this concept in physics called center of gravity. If you have a ball, a solid ball, okay, in the very center is what's called the center of gravity. In the middle of this stuff, in the middle of the earth, there's a center of gravity, okay? Mm -hmm. In the middle of all this stuff. So what if you have no stuff, okay? So now what's in this disc you're sitting on, right? It's you're spinning, okay? There's nothing in the middle of the disc. Now, if you let go of the 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 railing on the on the, the whirly go round what happens you get thrown off you go boop, right but you're only pushed off by a little bit of force right at the railing a little thin membrane of force is pushing you mm -hmm. now let's flip it over you're in this big tin tin can where like they have this this uh uh Thing in uh, Disneyland where you get in this room and you get up against the wall and this room starts to spin around and then the floor drops and you're just like up against the wall and you can't really move, right? So do the, let's do the same experiment, only this time you have a little spring on your back, right? And you press a button and it just pushes you a little tiny bit off. What would happen? Same you, thing. You go down, you go bing, bing, bing. <laughs> you hit yeah. the ground. It's because the anti-gravity force is pushing you up against the wall. But what's in the center there of gravity is nothing. There's nothing in the center. So mm -hmm. empty space moving pushes you. Mm -hmm. And that's hmm. what anti-gravity is. It's a it's a it's a push force. And this applies everywhere in 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 outer space. So that means like the outer space is pushing back away. There's a little push force that's coming towards the Earth from outer space. Mm -hmm. and it's only strong at this little thin membrane. That's why we don't see it because it's a membrane. And it's a balloon force. Now, if you look at the Tic Tac video and you look at it, you'll see there's this dark balloon shaped thing above the Tic Tac. And that's the anti-gravity balloon that the Tic Tac is producing using a, a, gra a gravitomagnetism, which is my invention. It, it's using that to create this force, this balloon force. It looks just like a balloon. There's no there's no substance to it, but it's 
that's what's lifting the tic-tac up. Okay. And now the only time that goes away from the tic-tac, if you look at the video, is when it's moving to the left. It disappears. But there's other there's other balloons that show up on the right side of it, which are producing the force that pushes it. So that's why I know the tic-tac is a real artificial phenomena that's doing space-time metric engineering like my invention does. Oh. That's how I know it's... The question now becomes is, whose is it? Right. Is it us or somebody else's? Or is it aliens? <laughs> <laughs> you know? Or is it Submariners. I don't know, you know, because uh, like uh, I think that there's probably intelligent uh, beings in the ocean since we don't know what the hell's there. <laughs> I'm so using that as a clip, by the way, Michael. <laughs> the last part. Who are they? <laughs> we don't know. Oh, gosh. Well, and that can explain the hypersonic abilities also, you know, when you right. describe that all of a sudden drop, well, is that how they're exiting in the universe? This, yeah. yeah, I mean, totally makes, I mean, this is what drives the subject is this fat scientific data that we can start basing the phenomenon from. We need we need this type of data. This is what we need to do. We can we have to stop speculating. And that's so, that's but that's why them telling us, oh, we can't give you any more videos is kind of a a bummer. Well, and I think we, we gotta overcome that. Um, sure. uh, I I I could try the the my hobby approach, which is to sue them <laughs> yeah, <laughs> to get well, the information. But I'd know. rather not do that. I'd rather have to do the nonviolent approach where we, where, where they give us the information we want because they feel comfortable doing it <laughs> because they don't feel afraid. It, it seems as though it's getting to that point, Michael, that it's being exacerbated where we're going Look, we're pushing. We want to know. We know that there's information. People from the military have spoken upon it. Lou has spoken upon it. You know, he doesn't have an NDA now. So then let's see the information. But I don't think people can handle it. I don't think that the general public that isn't, you know, open minded or aware that this is potentially yeah, sharing I, I your agree. space, they can't I handle agree. it. But they, but we got to start working on, on helping them to deal with the trauma. Yes. Because until we deal with this trauma issue, I agree. I don't see it as a healthy thing to disclose any of this. And I actually support the, <clears throat> I actually support the government's reticence to release this information. But sure. Like I said, I want them to feel comfortable. And I think the, the first steps is to get people like Lou and Chris to feel comfortable with talking about, in a healthy way, what the trauma is. Because once we all deal with it, I think then we'll be, a, we'll be ready. 
So well it's said. like we need to uh, we need to work on it. <laughs> Very well we said. We we can't we can't just give up. We gotta we gotta sound out the government and find out what they're afraid of, why they're feeling afraid. Well, what is it they need to feel comfortable? It's I describe it as this soft unveiling. You know, when your friend opens up a restaurant and you have just that opening for your your close family and friends, right? Then you cut the ribbon for the general public. We're, we're before the ribbon cutting right now, right? So there should be this kind of approach to where we're, we're a little bit careful with people's emotions and how is the world going to respond? We are aware that people may become upset over this. So how do we kind of nourish the subject or finesse it, finesse is probably a better term to use, in order to let this unveiling be a little less traumatizing because we don't need any more of that as you've just said. And uh, I couldn't agree with you more. It's a great, I think it's a wonderful approach. And I don't know if that's even be, that's even been spoken upon. So yeah, I mean, let's get this message out to people. I think that's the start, right? Yeah. I think this issue is like you were talking about earlier as an experiencer with the stigma Mm -hmm. The stigma and and the fact that you know it's intergenerational thing, mm -hmm. it's the that it's like first we got to talk about stigma, almost it seems like, mm -hmm. and acknowledge that it's there. I think with that we're still in denial of the stigma. Yes, and say even pilot, um, well, there's Chris Leto and there's Alex Dietrich, who recently came forward sharing their experiences. That sets a standard for others to say, hey, look, we served, we saw something, it's okay now. They, they need to not be afraid of losing their job or having the stigma placed upon them either. You know, and, and I don't know if all of the general public is going to come forward either yeah. way. But, but well, I think that that's a the, great start. The, the, if we could get to the, the, the public just to be compassionate about it and understanding right. Maybe. instead of uh, being a troll. <laughs> right, exactly. It's, bullying is not cool, people. It's just not. We've all, in, we've all endured it at one point in life. It's not cool. Adults do it to adults. We, as we you know, know, it's, <laughs> it's <laughs> like I, when when you when you learn nonviolent communication. One of the things you learn, <clears throat> like I said, criticism is an expression of an unmet need. You learn mm -hmm. not to hear criticism. You learn yeah. how to hear feelings and needs. Sure. Because when you hear what a person's feeling, what's alive in them, and then you can hear what they're needing then all that stuff goes it's because that's you got to learn not to listen to people that's <laughs> really what it is not to hear learn. criticism it's right. really hard it's, it's, really a, hard. it's a tool to be sharpened right oh yeah I agree. So it's and it's it's and for people that have been traumatized or most of their adult life, it's 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 a it's a difficult thing for them to deal with, and yeah. it, it, we just need to acknowledge that and give people enough space so that they feel feel uh, comfortable. 
Amen to that. But it's, well, it's not an easy thing by any stretch of the imagination. No, it's but not. It's definitely needed. <laughs> yes. Well, you have to be open to it, you know, and a lot of people are not open to working on their, say, mental health. So they think everything's okay. They can fix it. But when you have people such as yourself that want to talk about it, it could be uncomfortable for that person. But if yeah, I think if you start to kind well, of you can't fix it. That's the point. I think you so. can't the fix brain it. is mendable. You brain, you gotta, you just gotta deal with it. It's like, hey, yeah. I survived that. You want to get mm-hmm. to the point where it's like, hey, I survived that, and it made me stronger, not weaker. Exactly. Right? Exactly. Exactly. So, You're strengthening yourself. You have any other questions there? I think that that is probably. A good, that's a good way to close out. I think it's a great message. And I'd love to have you back. Uh, sure. I've thoroughly enjoyed our conversation. And, you know, you just never know which rabbit hole the UAP topic will go <laughs> go on into. But I mean, this is definitely information that I think is is going to be new, new information for people to um, learn about as well. So thank you for your, yeah, your, well, your time. I, 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 I also encourage people to watch that uh, James Webb video. That yes. that's pretty cool. Uh, yes. Like I said, that's a that's a game changer right there. So. Yes, absolutely. And it, same with well, what Avi Loeb is doing with uh, Amuamua at Harvard, and you know the studies that I'm sure that James Webb is is helping with their project. And I mean, it's oh, just yeah. a beautiful, beautiful thing that everything is starting to kind of work together so that's what we need and um yeah thank thank you for everything that you've provided and your your family service in the military also so okay well until next time it's been a pleasure michael e boyd and i look forward to having you join on uap experiencers again is there anywhere else that people can find you i know i'll leave the link on your paper that we're going to speak about next time which is a perfect way for them to you know Um, in my in my uh, bio, I put a link to my my curriculum vita, my resume, and if if people pull it up, there's a little uh, on my work section, which is where my papers and stuff are, my published papers. There's a little pull down on the right, and it pulls down, and I post, and each of them has a link to the actual paper if you want to download it, for example. Perfect. Yeah, okay. Just so you know how to use it. <laughs> Sounds good, Michael. Thanks again. We'll see you next Thank time. Thank you. Bye, it was guys. fun. Thank you. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye. Okay.